You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Great morning to everybody. Uh, So glad to see you here on this fall crisp morning. I have a question for you. What would you do and to what lengths would you go to stop a robber from coming in your house? What uh, lengths would you go to to stop them from harming your babies, your kids? Can you identify with that? Young people, you don't have a family yet, but what would you do to stop people from hurting your family? Uh, what lengths would you go to? What would it take to stop somebody that wants to come in and rob you or injure you or kill you? That's something that we can relate to as human beings. How about this? What lengths would you go to to stop your mind from being assaulted with lies and deceptions that have no other aim but to kill you to destroy your destiny, to destroy your faith, to destroy your walk with God? Are we as vigilant about what we let in in our mind and what we think about as what we let in our front door of our house? That's what we're going to talk about today. John in 1 John is talking to us that there is equipment that God gave you to be able to stop this onslaught of ideas and lies and falsehoods that are, are coming at us like arrows uh, every day. And so um, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's the end result, that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So I'll tell you the end result there. I told the group Thursday night, I said, this passage and a lot of these talks out of John, First John, there's no jokes in there. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I don't want people to go home condemned. I want people to go home encouraged with the truth because Jesus said the truth sets you free. And so, but there's not a lot of jokes in there. And, I, and then when I talked about, I said, the Holy Spirit's going to help us. And uh, there's, but there's not a lot of jokes. And some guy shouted out from the back, that's the Spirit. And so <laughs> that was as close as we got. And it was yah, 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 like this. So uh, anyway. John is going to talk in this section, uh, six verses today, about discernment, about the ability uh, to discern uh, truth from error. That's, that's the definition of discernment. It's the ability to discern truth from error. And there is a natural discernment. Just ask your mama. When she looks at you and she goes, uh, 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 you're not telling me the truth. How did she know? She has this gift of discernment that every mother has, all right? That's in the natural. What we're going to talk about today is supernatural discernment. Supernatural, uh, super means apart from the natural. In other words, it's not innate. It's something that God gives you when the Holy Spirit fills you. When you get saved, you have the measure of the, measure of the Holy Spirit come on you, and all of a sudden you start knowing and understanding things like uh, Paul and Logan were talking about uh, that you didn't understand before because your eyes 
are, are open. So, how about this one? How can you tell if a teacher or a preacher is telling you what they're telling you is right? Do you know, as a believer, you have an obligation to test them. What's being spoken to you from the front here, you're not passive. The Word of God is very clear. All believers, you have a responsibility to be able to discern between truth and error. And, you know, pretty much in this church, we try to preach what the Bible says. And so we see a lot of Jesus lovers out in the congregation here that are going like this. That's right. That's right. Why? Because their discernment antenna are up and they know the Word of God enough. Maybe they haven't memorized the entire Bible, but they know it enough to know, hey, that's truth being taught here. It might hurt sometimes, but it's truth. And so this is what John is referring to, because at the end of the first century, there started to be false teachers, false prophets, little antichrists uh, going around teaching things that were not right. And so this is what he's addressing here. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know, he says, if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the Spirit of the Antichrist, and then just a little side note, the New Living Translation that is up here, uh, Antichrist is capitalized. None of the other versions have the word Antichrist capitalized because it's not talking about the Antichrist. It's talking about the spirit of things that are against Jesus, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children, You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint and the world listens to them. But we belong to God and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Isn't that a powerful passage right there? Wow. So let's unpack this and then give a little bit of application. Uh, John uh, first says that we test them. We have this obligation to test them. Even in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, when someone gives a, a prophetic word, the body judges whether that word is right or wrong. It's not just the elders judging that word. The elders are the gatekeepers. They're the ones that let that word in, so to speak. But the body judges that word. In other words, there's a consensus by the Spirit of God uh, enabling us to understand uh, the difference between truth and error. So he says, you must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know that they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. What is John talking about here? Jesus came in a real body. Of course he came in a real body. 
Well, at the end of the first century, uh, there was division and new teaching. And so that's one of the reasons I think that God caused John to live till almost the end of the first century. He was only about 14 or 15 when Jesus chose him as one of his apostles. And then Jesus, um, for three and a half years, he discipled him and then released him to ministry. Uh, but all of the other disciples and apostles were killed off now. They were all martyred and they tried to kill John, but they couldn't. Uh, they put him in a pot of boiling oil, tradition tells us, and, they, and he wouldn't die. He's just like, you know, hi there. That would freak me out if, if I was a horrible Roman guard and that happened. Uh, so they took him out and they put him on the island of Patmos. And it's an island of exile. There's no way off. And so you just live there and you just made do the best you could. And so if people didn't bring you provisions, then you weren't provided for. And so that's where he wrote... Uh, the Gospel of John, the first, second, and third John, the letters to the church, and also the Revelation. John wrote quite a bit of the New Testament. Um, so why did he propose this profession that Jesus came in a real body as a test? Why did he do that? Uh, some of the opponents of John, there was people called Docetists, they believed in the inherent evil of everything material. So if you could touch something... Anything that you could see, touch, human beings, uh, alive, dead, anything that was real, materialist, that's what that's called, materialism. I only believe in that which is uh, I can touch and scientifically quantify. Uh, those people, um, they argued that since Jesus was holy and perfect, he could not have possessed a regular body. So Jesus just seemed to have a body in actuality he was something like a phantom or a ghost or something this is what these people were teaching and john's going no it's not true and then there were other teachers uh, a lot of them influenced by a, a man named uh, serinthus and they uh, they maintained that christ uh, when he um, was baptized by John, that the Spirit of God descended upon him. He became this God-man. And then right before he was crucified, the Spirit left him again so that he could die, because, of course, God couldn't die. That was going around, and people were, were eating it up. Things that were not in the Word of God, things that were not in their knower. You know, the Holy Spirit gives you a knower. You have one there, and when you uh, become a Christian, he turns the dial way up. Not literally, all right? Just figuratively. You get this discernment dial turned up, ratcheted up. Think about it. If Jesus was not and is not the God-man that's depicted in, in Scripture, then it follows that all of Scripture is suspect. That we can't trust any of it. And um, Life Application Bible Commentary says that you believers, the Word of God says it too, have the responsibility to call into question any church, any teacher, any teaching that rejects the historic orthodox belief that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Jesus is the one we celebrate this morning. Jesus is the one that this church is centered around. Jesus is the head of this church, this local church, and he's the head of the church universal. And that's, that's what we teach, that's what the Bible teaches, and that's what is in your heart when you are a Christ follower, you know, and we'll read a little bit more about that. So, number two, the Antichrist. Who or what is that? 
Well, the word Antichrist is actually found in Scripture only four times. Did you know that? The word Antichrist, and all four are found in John's letters, First and Second John. So he refers to that. He had an understanding of what this was. Uh, a lot of theologians believe that the beast in Revelation is the Antichrist. I don't have a problem with that. And so, um, but we're not talking about the who of Antichrist. We're talking about the what. What is Antichrist? Well, Antichrist is just that. It means everything that's Antichrist. Everything that's against God. Everything that's against Jesus uh, uh, that we taught. Everything against the gospel of Jesus. The good news of Jesus. All right. Anything that's against that. You come up into that in your families, in your workplace, in the newspaper, on media, in, in education. You come, against these, you come up against these people all the time that are against what Jesus is about. And you'll be ridiculed. You can be accepted for any crazy thing. But when you start talking about Jesus, boom, they're against you. All right, That's the spirit of the Antichrist working uh, in, in the world around us where we live. Um, number three. John tells you. How can you tell if you have that spirit? Spirit of the Antichrist. Well, there's three things that he gives us. Uh, There's three uh, tests. One is, they do not acknowledge the truth about Jesus. The truth is that he came in a real body. Verse 2. He came. That means if he came, or some of the other versions says he has come, If he came, where did he come from? He came from heaven. He came from eternity. Jesus has come. All right? That means he's fully God. And this is the thing that's a a tough thing for us to uh, understand. Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. As God, he never gave up his attributes as God. And as man, he was tempted in all ways like we were, yet he never sinned. It was like this, uh, uh, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam blew it. And Jesus came, the second Adam, and actually what that says to me is, Adam, you could have done it. You could have. Because you had perfect fellowship with the Father, yet you chose to turn your back and sin. Wow. Jesus showed, even though he was tempted, he was a human being, he had emotions, he had highs and lows and and, and uh, temptation and, and every way like human beings are. He was hungry. He was, he was uh, tempted to not go to the cross, uh, but he never gave in to that temptation. He never succumbed to it. He all, always followed, and he was sinless so he could be the perfect sacrifice. So uh, there's a wide selection of books out there today. There's a wide selection of teachings. Make sure that what you are listening to or learning or absorbing, make sure that Jesus is central, that he's first. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Make sure, uh, because there's a lot out there that's not... Oh, by the way, listen. If you have the habit of listening to 50 preachers a week in your commutes or having it on all day long, I like this preacher, I like this one, I like this one, I like this one, I like this one. Just a word of caution... When you hear truth, and it's true, you're accountable for that. You've got to live it out and walk it out. Some of us are listening, 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 and we never walk it out, walk it out, walk it out, walk it out. You don't have time to listen to everything out there and walk it out. Find out who God has connected you to. The get, in, get your branch plugged into the place where you're connected to. Listen to that and walk that out. 
And so does that make sense? Uh, we don't have time to live out everything. And some of us, and, and Paul says, always uh, learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. We're, all, we're always up here, all kinds of stuff up here, but we never actually live it out. That's where the rubber meets the road. We can know a lot of stuff, you know, but it's living it out, walking it out that we want to be. Yeah, that's just a little um, side note there. A, a true teacher will always confess Jesus, always acknowledge Jesus. So John wrote these early believers because they were being misled. They were like gullible little children. And uh, just all these new, the, you know, the, this new information. Oh, wow, that's a new idea. That's so great. And, and because they're not familiar enough with this, they grab hold of that and it's not true. And so study God's word enough to know the difference. Study God's word enough to know the difference. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 in the King James... How many memorized that years ago as a kid? I did in Awana. All right. Study to shoo <laughs> thyself a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? And so the modern version, what's the modern version Second, in New American Standard? Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, right? Accurately handling the word of truth. So here we have your friend at work or school. They ask you a question. You go, they ask you a question about God. Puts you on the spot. You get all defensive. You go, I don't know. Whenever you come up with a I don't know question, find out the answer so next time you don't have to say I don't know because the answer is in here. There is an answer. Find it out. Ask questions of those, your, your small group leader or the people around you or one of the deacons or elders here at Westside. Somehow, get the answer, all right? So that next time you can be like Peter who says, when people ask you, be ready to give defense for your faith. Be ready to give uh, answers. And so um, that's what uh, Paul is telling us here, to be diligent to study God's Word. So you know you can handle this Word accurately, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff. So in um, the King James, when it says rightly dividing, well, Paul was a tent maker. And canvas material was very, very expensive in those days. And so you didn't want to have any wasted products. I remember when my sisters did their sewing you know, things, laid them out all over the place and put the material down and then cut them out. There's all kinds of scraps left over. All right, Paul didn't want to have scraps left over when he was cutting his tent stuff material because it was too expensive, so he rightly divided. In other words, he accurately handled those scissors or shears or whatever he cut, cut the canvas with. And that's what Paul is saying. You handle this accurately. This is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is an offensive weapon against the enemy. It's not an offensive weapon against your friends or your fellow believers. Sometimes we take this thing and we don't handle it right and we start giving Bible verses to people who are, in, who are in the worst pain in the world and it's like wielding a sword and you're making things worse. But when we use this accurately, you're more like a surgeon with a scalpel and you're tenderly opening the wounds and getting rid of the gunk, all right? And so that's what Paul's saying. Don't be ashamed about it, but study it enough. And some of you guys go, oh, I don't want to go to school again. All right? Just what he's saying is be aware enough of God's word to where when something pops up and your yellow flag goes up, maybe it's not a red flag. 
All right, a red flag would be, would, would be Paul getting up preaching and saying, okay, I heard from the Lord, you can all go out and steal all you want now. All right, boom, red flag goes up because you know that one, all right? But then there might be something that's said and it's a little bit yellow and everybody all over the room, they're going, oh, like this. That's because this cautionary uh, uh, signal is going up that the, uh, that the Holy Spirit gives you. Uh, the second thing he says is they belong to this world, the people who have the spirit of Antichrist. They belong to this world. They speak from the world's viewpoint. They get their ideas and their opinions from not the word of God, but from television or media or journalism or entertainment industry or school or even churches. They get ideas that are not the word of God. They, they take the world's viewpoint on things and, and the world listens, listens to those ideas. And they, they embrace those ideas. I have a friend who calls that the Oprahfication of America. We get these ideas out there. And I don't know if I offended you. She, I, I'm not anything about her as a lady. But some of those ideas that are coming on there are absolutely against God. There's all kinds of other stuff out there that are against God. And we have to be careful. It's like, how much would you do to stop a robber and a, a murderer from coming in your house? How much are you going to guard your eye gates? Your eyes are w- windows to your soul. How much are you going to guard your ear gates? Your, those are windows to your... These eye gates, ear gates, those are windows into our soul. How, how much are you going to guard what you listen to and what you see? Are, are you going to be vigilant about that? It's a big deal. Where do your opinions come from? Seriously, where do your opinions come from? Um, I'll tell you what a big onslaught is. The pervading philosophy of this nation today is humanism. Humanism, let me define that for you. Humanism is a world viewpoint. It's a, it's a philosophy. It's not humanitarian where you care for and you might give, you know, sponsor a child in Ethiopia or something. I'm not talking about being humanitarian or humane. I'm talking about humanism. And humanism says this, the end of all being, the, the bottom line, the end of the day is the happiness of man. It's all about me. All right? It's all about me. And so when I got my daytimer catalog a few years ago, across the front... They had printed a personal message for me. It's all about you, Steve Barr. I took it to Terry and I said, I knew it, like this. So, <laughs> it's not true. That's humanism. There is a, an American Humanist Association. This year they're celebrating their 75th anniversary. The founder of the American Humanist Association, one of the founders was John Dewey, the father of a of our modern public school system. The, the teacher taught in Boston University. Boston University, for decades, taught most of the school superintendents around the country. Or they went and became superintendents in other universities or, or teachers, professors from Boston uh, uh, College from under John Dewey. And that spread through our uh, education, public education system is is saturated with humanism. Humanism believes these tenets. They have things that they believe. One is they don't believe in any God. They're atheists. A means apart from theism, God. No God. All right? They're against God. 
And so they believe in evolution. And of course, we're the highest form of evolution and we're constantly evolving. And maybe in a million years, there'll be, you know, we'll have six fingers and, you know, huge thumbs from, from gaming. Uh, but <laughs> we will evolve, we're, but we're it. We're the highest. So it's all about us. All right? Humanists believe in amorality. Not immorality, amorality. Amorality means there are no morals. There are no rights and wrongs. There's no such thing as an absolute, which is a contradictory term because they just said an absolute. There is no such thing as. That's an absolute. They say there's no such thing as, as absolutes. It's all relative. It's relativism, situational ethics. Uh, depends on the circumstances, all that kind of stuff. And this philosophy has... The American Humanist Association has about 30,000 members. It has about 160,000 people active on their line, online. We have 330 million. How many people do we have in the United States now? They only represent a fraction of 1%. Yet 96% of all major uh, mainline media uh, reporters, 96% are, avow all the aspects of humanism. That's why when we see things, it's always filtering through somebody else who doesn't believe in God. They believe in evolution. They believe that we are the highest thing. They believe that man is the highest. It's all about us. They believe that there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong. So if you can get away with something, didn't hurt anybody, it's, it's okay. That's all humanism, all right? And that is our culturist philosophy that is uh, firing all, on all cylinders against your brain, and against your kids, and wants to capture you. And that's why Paul says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Know the word of God. There's a, there's a declining number of people in the United States. Just this week I read, declining number of people in the United States that uh, profess any kind of denomination or religion. But what it said was, although that group is getting larger, this group over here of not just nominal Christians, but people who really profess Christ over on this side, they're getting more confident in their faith. And they're learning more in their faith. And they're willing to go out on a limb, even if it might cost them a job or promotion or, or, or whatever. These people are being galvanized because of the increasing persecution from this side. And so uh, they also believe in an economic system of socialism. So you hear it all through equality and all these kind of things that, ha that have nothing to do with the God's economy. God's economy is uh, stewardship and responsibility. That's all you got to remember is two words. God's economy, stewardship and responsibility. Stewardship means he gave you everything. Number two, you're responsible to take care of it. He gave you your brain. You take care of it and you do the best you can. He gave you your muscles. You work hard and, and do the best you can. He gave you that house or that car or that bed or that coat or whatever. He, it belongs to him. You take care of it and don't waste it. That's, that's God's economy. It always has been. And he's always been about being generous to the poor. He's always been about giving away uh, when you have plenty. But that's not mandated. It's, it's a heart attitude. So this is saturating all aspects and quickly, if not having overtaken the church. So that's humanism. That's a big deal. So really, where do you get your values? From your parents? from your friends, from your teachers, from the Twilight series? Where do you get your values, the things that are important to you? 
You get them from the Word of God? And number C, John says they don't listen to godly instruction. They don't listen. When godly instruction is being given by parents or teachers or preachers or whatever, they just don't listen. And John says, this is how we know they don't belong to God. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, Satan, who is the little g God, not, not the big g God, the little g God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And so... We have to understand that the, the people who have not said yes to Jesus, they have blindfolds over their brain. They can't see. They can't, you're talking to your friends or your family at, at Thanksgiving or whatever about Jesus, and they're just, they're like, you know, deer looking in a headlight. And um, they just don't get it until we're born again. Then we can start to see and understand. Do we know it all at the beginning? No, we begin this process of growing and maturing. And um, number four in this passage, believers have the advantage over the world. We have the advantage over the world. All the philosophies from this world coming at you all day long, like machine gun, like artillery fire, it's always coming out against you. But this passage here, uh, in the New Living Translation, it didn't say that way, but in the King James, you might recognize this. It's greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you can remember that. You can take that to the bank when you're being troubled, when you're being onslaughted against for your ideas, when people are coming against you because of your faith. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You don't have to take any retribution yourself or any, any vengeance. God, God will take care of that. He's just. He'll, he, he, he's, leave that to him. Love those people. Care for them. But understand that just where, that's where they're at. They don't see. They have blindfolds over their eyes. I'm, I'm going to keep praying for them. I'll love them. I'll represent the goodness of God as well as I can, but I understand that they don't see. Have you ever noticed that the closer you get to God, the greater the attack seems to come? There's some evidence that the devil doesn't like you. And he doesn't like your kids. And that should like, like a soldier that's equipped and ready and accurately handling the Word of God to stand strong, not to stand in judgment, not to be a jerk out there, but to love people, but to know that they know that they know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He's their Savior. So one of the big lies out there is that there's this eternal yin and yang, God versus the devil, good versus evil, and there's these cosmic struggle going back and forth. That is a big lie. You know where it comes from? The pit of hell. Because Satan is not as equally powerfully strong in the negative way as God is powerfully strong in the positive way. Satan is a created being. God is the creator. The opposite of God is not the devil. If we say up, down, light, dark, left, right, heaven, hell, God, Satan, that's wrong. Satan is not the opposite of God. If anything, if this is the middle and God is you know, a million miles that way because he's infinite, all right, if anything, the devil would be right here. 
All right, because he, yes, he's a foe. And yes, we have to beware. And yes, he's like a lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. But at the same time, he's created. If anything, the opposite of, of, of the devil would be one of the other archangels like Lucifer, I mean, uh, Lucifer over here, or Michael or Gabriel or something. They're powerful, yes. But they're not anything near God. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus said that he said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have the authority, not in yourself, but in the name of Jesus to tell Satan to back off, to back off your kids. Don't give a reviling judgment. Don't take it lightly. Like even Michael, the archangel, didn't revile Lucifer when they struggled, the Bible says. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. So, you have these great weapons. So, how do we understand this? How does this help us? Let's apply it. Number one, understand that the Holy Spirit is helping you with wisdom and understanding and discernment. Back in the Gospel of John, Jesus said this, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you Know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. The disciples, when they said yes to Jesus, Jesus is Lord, they had a measure of the Holy Spirit in them. Later on, they got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and overcome by the presence of the Holy Spirit, Almighty God. But this Holy Spirit, when you said yes to Jesus, if you said when Logan gave a call and prayed, and if you said this morning yes to Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit is in you and working in you and allowing you to grow and to mature. Isn't that awesome? You can know what's right or wrong. You can know these things in your knower. And number two, make sure you understand it's all about Jesus. You know the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to make you feel heebie-jeebie good, which that might happen, or happy or full of joy. That's not the main purpose of the Holy Spirit. The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is, not, is still not even to give you strength, encouragement, and comfort, which we say all the time. The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to direct our gaze toward Jesus, to exalt Jesus, exalt Him, the King of Kings. Here's what is said about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him... God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. You've got to know that there's an unseen world that we cannot see. We're in the material world and there is a spiritual world. And all around us, there are things. There there are powers, principalities, wickedness. Those might be... um, different levels or or strengths of demonic beings and angelic beings. They're all around. It's the spiritual world uh, that we cannot see. And you say, well, I don't believe that because I can't see it. Well, how about those cell phone signals that are going right through your body right now? Radio signals, microwaves. They're all over the place and you can't see them, but yet you believe in them. And so the, the, the spiritual world is there and we know that they are a formidable foe. 
He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Just keep quoting that verse over your car that's about to die. He holds all things together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. That's saying that he was the first one to be resurrected into his immortal body. And for, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus came to this earth just like the scriptures prophesied. He lived a sinless life and died for us and was buried and rose three days later just like was prophesied and he's coming back for us. I urge you today as believers, as seasoned saints, keep on keeping on. Keep on looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. For those that are new, enjoy this journey that God has you on, learning more and more about him every day. And if you just said yes to him this morning, welcome to the family. And if you're still considering it, I encourage you before you leave today, please say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.